now, you know, there's so much of that Sheen or Shein brand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, H&M, all those that make, and then they, some of them use, like I said, sustainability and it becomes in the thrift store, but then nobody wants it, it doesn't get purchased. So then it goes to the surplus and then it goes to whatever landfill country um, has a contract with that thrift store to take right. trash. I think that's a thing to think about when you're purchasing fast fashion or participating in it is like, just because they're saying sustainable, like is making that many of an item really sustainable? These are a lot of questions like to ask why fast fashion is a part of that, the the ugly side of the second hand and the pollution problem. Right. I'm Charmaine. I'm Katie. And this is Unpacking Ethical. A podcast where we sip our favorite drinks at the moment. And talk about some things. Because there's nothing ethical about upholding the status quo. Let's talk about it. This week on Unpacking Ethical. On this episode of Unpacking Ethical, we talked to Natalie Medina of Grey Moon Vintage based here in San Antonio, Texas, about secondhand fashion, mass production, capitalism, and who benefits from it. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? Doing good. 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 <laughs> Everybody good? Yeah. yeah. What y'all drinking? Oh, I made myself a little golden milk latte. with. Oh, that looks good. Milk. Yeah. What do you have, Sharmaine? Not water again. I do not have water this time. <laughs> I have a chai latte. <laughs> nice Yum. yes well ish <laughs> i think i put too much water in it it's the one in the little packets from trader joe's and yeah it didn't steep enough oh so i like to pretend though it'll do <clears throat> i made something i oh hold on one second if i can get it off of the coaster it got stuck so i make this um lemon honey cayenne drink some nights and all I do is just I squeeze like half of a lemon into the mug then I pour the boiling water or I don't usually let it boil too long but the hot water um in it and then I put maybe a fourth of a teaspoon or a little less than a fourth of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper and then a, a teaspoon of honey and I sweeten it and mix it in real good it's a nice like spicy quick drink yeah I like that should we, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody. <laughs> Should we do a cheers? Yeah. Sure. Okay, ready? Wait, we are, are we toasting though? We're what toasting to? To, ep- to this con- recording of un- Unpacking Ethical, Woo-hoo. right? <laughs> oh, okay, one, two, three, there we go. Yeah. That's good. I'm really curious. Because we're going to dive into to secondhand fashion here. But I would mm-hmm. love to know what everybody's journey into that looks mm-hmm. like. Ooh. Ooh, a wild part. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like I should make Katie start. Yeah. I'm like... <laughs> I'm good. I'm good to start. Well... Okay, so we all know that growing up, most of us did do thrifting or go to thrift stores to buy clothes anyway, because it was 
you know, the, the thing that was the most budget friendly. So as a kid, I mean, we thrifted all the time. Most of the clothes were, um, and actually how I do now, which is mix in a few new quality, new sustainable pieces with, um, with secondhand stuff. I did the same thing as a kid. We would get a few new pieces and then throughout the year, we just go thrifting to kind of like replenish, you know, or whatever, but it was always at thrift, local thrift stores. Um, and so I reconnected with that a few years ago, just like starting the magazine and everything and like want, like loving fashion and, you know, wanting to add new pieces, but either being conscious of like where I was shopping was, was the thing or thinking about budget. And so I just decided, you know, the stigma that came with, okay, you shop at thrift stores because you're poor was no longer a thing that kept me from doing that. Like, I didn't care about that anymore. Um, and so I started back maybe four years ago, like, you know, going to thrift stores and both of y'all actually had a lot to do with like kind of encouraging that for me. So, yeah, I mean, this, this blazer I'm wearing is, is a uh, secondhand uh blazers one of my favorites I'm always wearing blazers I love and and thrift stores have the best blazers they because do. people don't people who sh like shop like some of the ones I go to they don't they're not looking for a lot of people still are looking for trendy items right uh -huh. like uh -huh. and so when you go and you can find like blazers with shoulder pads um and with certain cuts that maybe you don't see anymore like I, I never have a problem finding those things because I know people aren't typically looking for, you know, blazers that are, were designed and, and made in the nineties. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's my yeah. journey. What about you, Natalie? You ready? You ready? I'm ready. So my journey was secondhand, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. For me, it also, like Katie was saying, um, started when I was born. Um, my family is, are just avid thrift store people mm -hmm. um to the point that both my parents uh were and kind of still are antique dealers um so for me that was kind of like second nature like going the most new stuff that we would buy would be from the px because we we're like military um but from other than that like thrift stores were always especially like having multiple kids for my mom like it's either hand-me-downs or thrift store um and so yeah so that was the furniture that we had everything was always secondhand antique vintage my mom and dad together did like an antique booth um and later on when my parents got divorced my mom still kind of continued she did less of the furniture just because it's so heavy and hard to do by yourself um and she became a manager of a thrift store where I'm from in Virginia and so a lot of my time was you know, I was like nine and 10 years old, the cashier there and also like unpacking clothes and pricing them and just kind of seeing and, and having that like textile century or sensory experience with um, all the secondhand clothes and just realizing just how much there is and how much cool stuff there is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even back then. Um, so yeah, I, and I think from that, I started because i been so thrift store heavy I kind of migrated into doing like vintage inspired fast fashion and then mm -hmm. it came full circle when I realized like what that was uh, and what that really looked like um, behind the scenes and then uh, really and that's honestly where Grey Moon started is I, I worked for a retail company that was very vintage inspired 
and I loved the aesthetic and I loved all the the aspects of it but then realizing the the ugly side yeah of all that um and yeah and I think Grey Moon has catapulted that journey for me personally um as I've grown to learn more about that um and I'm very 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 now conscientious of anything that I buy I try to buy it secondhand right um, if I can even like new like the new whatever like if I like it two years after it came out you know like for instance I got these new like Simpsons shoes they're not new but they came out I think last year or two years ago but it's like okay well if I still like it in two years and I can find it after somebody like yeah. didn't want it you know like listed on their Poshmark then I should you know be able to get it and not do the impulsive thing I love those shoes, by the way. Thank you. I love them too. And that's why I was like, well, if I can find them and then if not, it's not meant to be, or I can wait um, until somebody's, you know, tired of theirs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your turn, Charmaine. Already talking about some fun little stuff. So for me, again, like I've been doing it forever. I was a military brat as well. So all we had was the BX we, you know, I was on the Air Force side, so we had a BX. <laughs> and, mm. um, but it's really started, my mom is like the yard sale queen. And that is mm-hmm. really where we started, was just going yeah. to yard sales. But it's really interesting because I didn't even become familiar with the whole secondhand stigma thing, probably until like recently. Like I didn't realize there was a stigma attached stigma to, to it. it. Like, right. Like I, it was just something I had always done. It was something, you know, um, like going through a thrifting, the yard sales, like that was just my life. And like, I never had people make fun of me for it or like, I never had to deal with any of that. And I don't know necessarily know why that is. Um, because I remember, you know, growing up with people like super into brands, like especially like Nike and Adidas. And right. like I had a friend that was like, I can't wear the two together. Like, God forbid mm-hmm. somebody wearing Adidas <laughs> with some Nike socks. And I, you know, and I and it was just like this thing that people said, but it was nothing that never really connected with me with the fact that like, I don't like I don't buy that stuff. I don't know. But um, but yeah, so it's been really, I think, interesting, like jumping into the sustainable fashion thing and like learning that there had been this st- stigma behind secondhand clothes. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> right. Like, what, what, what's happening there? Well, we'll get into more of this later, but because we, I know when we had our pre kind of like conversation and mm-hmm. just conversations we have, because all three of us are actually friends in real life. We talk about this stuff quite a bit, but like there is a cultural kind of thing there mm-hmm. too. And like, I think a lot of the time when it comes to like thrifting and secondhand, like from the neighborhood that I grew up in, there was such a stigma because people were already struggling with value anyway, because it was Uh like a predominantly black neighborhood, you know, I guess, I don't know, like lower socioeconomic like statuses, you know, there. So like people, and that's, well, we'll, we've talked about this before, like clothing and the value that like, it, some people have felt like they've had to put on that and on themselves right. because of how they're viewed and treated in society. That's just right. one kind of avenue to kind of separate yourself from being, yeah. feeling like you're the lowest of the low. And so there's like, that, that, that. I think that's in part probably the stigma, where the stigma comes from in like certain like communities. Um, Cause like where I was mm-hmm. from, it was like, nobody wanted to admit that they were 
buying stuff from the thrift store because it's embarrassing or it's mm-hmm. not embarrassing but it, you feel like you're conditioned to think that it's embarrassing yeah. right but everybody was excited to have the newest jays uh you know on their feet and i never had a pair of jordans i was very sad about that but now i'm not so sad i'm like <laughs> <laughs> i mean historically speaking i think it's always carried a stigma um whether that was like an ethnic stigma or the socioeconomic stigma but right now of course it is like this thing and it's a huge thing and it's a thing because certain groups of people have now decided that it's acceptable yes right yes but again but you know because of that though now we have um we have issues associated with the (laughs) we got some issues to unpack (laughs) <laughs> we do which we're gonna get into and I'm happy yes. Natalie is here to talk about it because yeah. you Natalie you were probably one of the first people to kind of bring it to my attention about the issues that are our massive clothing issue here in the U.S. from you know over uh producing for mass consumption things ending up in secondhand stores not being bought and then they're being they, the the leftover clothes or the clothes that people think they're donating whatever it may be ending up in other countries like Haiti as, as one that I'm the most familiar with and them not like knowing what to do be able to do with all this 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 crap like it's so much mm-hmm. um and kind of like talking about like the ethics behind this kind of thing that the the when you pull back the curtain of what's happening in the secondhand industry, a lot of people don't know about that. So I know if you want to kind of just like jump into it and talk about like like that issue. Well, I feel like this this kind of conversation started last time because there's a bit of shaming going around like about like oh don't overconsume at the thrift store or don't buy the thrift store. It, from the thrift store if you're not able or if you're able to buy other things or something like that right, but right. then it's like there's just so much stuff mm-hmm. um out there um the way that it works is what what is the percentage i think like 85 percent of the textiles don't, don't get used um or, or purchased and um and yeah so the way it usually works is you take your bag of stuff you donate it to the charity um, they may or may not sort it. If it does get sorted, it goes on the, the floor. If it doesn't, because they just have an, a surplus, they only have so much space. Right. The bag might go straight into the landfill shipping uh, bin or whatever it is that they have, or bales is what they call them. Um, and that either goes to their main, um, if it's like a bigger company like Goodwill or Salvation Army, or even maybe like Thrift, Family Thrift. It goes into their outlet where you can buy by the pound or by the piece, like a set price. Um, and then if it doesn't get sell- sold from there, it again gets compacted and then shipped to a bu- various underprivileged countries, exploited countries. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Where they either burn it or they kind of try to set, they do various things. I've heard um, mainly in Africa that they're just burning it or they're rejecting it outright. Like because they don't, they don't have the infrastructure or to deal with all of this stuff like that's coming in mm-hmm. and it's, it's trash it's like it's trash, trash right island right so i mean like there's that and then also there's several countries where it's um basically messing with their yep industry right mm-hmm. having these you know again 
cheap trash clothes coming in that people are then able to mm-hmm. um, purchase, which is tends to be the the justification for that. They're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, but I'm like, you're also hurting other industries, and so um, yeah, I don't care about I, that. I so think much. it's hard for people. I think where it starts is, you know, obviously it starts in the consumption process, but on the after effects, I think a lot of people think that like oh, I'm doing this good deed, donating all these clothes, these great clothes or whatever. In their mind, they're like, well, I paid X amount. So they'll maybe get like a half or a quarter for that. So I'm doing this great thing for charity. And like I said, a lot of the time, if it does make it to the floor, uh, there's a really big chance that it doesn't get sold. Mm -hmm. And also, like I said, sometimes it doesn't even make it to the floor just because they have so much stuff and it just goes straight into... um, their overflow, um, either going to the outlet or just straight to the landfill. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and it's just, it's a major problem where I think a lot of people don't see because in your mind, like your clothes are either sentimental to you or you overvalue them because you did pay a lot, even though it is fast fashion and, and you think that they are still worth something or that somebody mm-hmm. might like it, but it's just like, there's very slim chances, um, that it will be adopted and taken home and, incorporated in somebody else's wardrobe right just gonna think say something too because having had worked in a thrift store and I don't Natalie if you had ever like helped out you know before but just people I mean treat their clothes like they're disposable to be mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily bring in the best stuff even if they think there's some value still and they don't wash it and they yeah <laughs> and so uh, especially that stuff is getting trashed like you're not doing yeah. any kind of good and nobody wants your junk and I think that is um mindset for some reason that people again are thinking well I'm doing something good and like poor people should be happy for whatever I mm-hmm. give them even right. if I'm literally giving them trash right and which is yeah. like the craziest like, thing yeah, I feel like that kind of what this, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but you know, a lot of these um, places that help out folks like that don't have a lot of clothes or just don't have a lot of resources, they mm-hmm. won't accept these clothes because people act like that. Yes. They drop yeah. off their, you know what I mean? Being like, oh, mm-hmm. well here, they don't have anything. So a dirty pair of this yeah. is better than nothing. Right. And and some of them, like I said, you have to show receipts or it needs to have the hang tag on it still because people, you know, are giving this sort of attitude. And it's like, you're not help, like, you're just creating more, you're creating more burden on the, the volunteer or whomever to, right. to like properly dispose of whatever it is that you thought you were donating. And I'm also feeling like clearly, especially within the fashion industry and even in the secondhand fashion industry, we, we have like a, a, a like a human appreciation problem mm-hmm. or just like valuing yes. people in general because right. one, we're not valuing the people that are making the clothes. Right. And two, you're not valuing the people that you're giving your clothes to if mm-hmm. you're giving them job. Right. That's kind mm-hmm. of how like the capitalism thing works. It's like puts the distance mm-hmm. in the blindness, you know, of that. Like in, in, in the whole entire scheme, you know, like we don't make our, no, like we don't make our own clothes at home anymore. Or right. do our own hemmings yeah. and things like that. So again, and it even goes into the food conversation. Like if you're not doing it, you don't understand what it takes to do, to right. create something like right. that right. or to grow whatever it is, something like that. Right. So you can't, can't fathom like, hmm, this $8 dress, I wonder how much this person 
got paid to make this because right. there's still a fabric cost here. There's still a transportation cost here and a store cost here. Like, and if you yes. know what it takes to make a dress or a shirt or something like that, you're like, that, that gets your wheels turning. You, you, it does. The value in it. Mm-hmm. you know, when we were kids and we would get in trouble for like leaving lights on for no reason. Mm-hmm. And now that we have to pay for those light bills, we know to turn them <laughs> off. Now we know why, why all my lights on. It's the same thing you're talking about though, Natalie. When you've yeah. got to do, when it becomes something that you actually have to be responsible for, or you have to actually put in the energy toward it or the work into it, you value, you see it differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> turn all the lights off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just keep hearing it. You just keep hearing, like, my, I hear my grandma, like, why are my lights on? Yeah. Why are my yeah, lights the on? Open. Who left the door open? Yeah, who left the door open? Open the blinds because, or open open the curtains because the sun is out. That's what my daddy would always say. There's sunlight outside. You don't need these lights on. <laughs> it's just true. I mean, sustainability, right? That, well, that's the- yeah. So my but, mom- Oh, go ahead. My mom was, like, letting all the air conditioning out the door. <laughs> It's so bad but it makes sense it makes sense my mom literally if she could live in the dark she would she would go to the bathroom in the dark like you don't even know she was in the bathroom because there was like no light under <laughs> she would never turn it on you know in in talking about this I want to make it clear like we, we are unpacking you know a lot in terms of it's not just just secondhand fashion but just kind of like is there such thing as a fashion industrial complex? I don't know, but it's a thing. Like it's it's this huge, massive thing that corporations are behind and they like are responsible for a lot of this. I'm not saying we don't have an individual responsibility, you know, to, to be mindful of how we do things. Obviously, you know, I believe that, but I hate a lot of the times that these conversations feel like we have to put that pressure on, um, just regular everyday people when these corporations are the ones who are benefiting the most from these toxic cycles and they're okay with that. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, as we're having this conversation, unpacking secondhand and, and kind of talking about the dark side of, 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 I don't want people to have a disconnect or be turned away from thrifting because I definitely still think it's a beautiful process. What is the issue is the corporations continuing to produce massive quantities of clothes that will end up in the landfill, absolutely. Um, And so I think that the conversation about secondhand was so that we could dive into how these corporations operate. And this, this idea of overconsumption, mass production, these are the issues, these are the fundamental issues, not shopping thrift, not, not thrifting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. For me, linearly, like I want to create the picture of like why the fast fashion and the thrifting are intertwined. And then the, the waste that I was talking about that gets shipped is like a process. So like when, let's say um, H&M makes their sustainable green, whatever stuff, and they make a billion, or not a billion, they probably don't make that many, but they make, let's say, 100,000 of this item that's under their sustainable brand. Like, that's 
that's a lot of pieces. It's not sustainable if you're making that many, because when you get into the numbers for, if you've ever worked in retail, like, you know, that there's, Mm -hmm. um, you make a certain number, there's a certain number you need to sell at full price, a certain number you need to sell on sale and a certain number that you're just going to throw away. Right. right. And from those that are purchased, I mean, there's nothing and not nothing, obviously there's stuff we can do. So H&M is going to throw away whatever they're going to throw away. But for us as consumers buying this item from that subset of how many were going to be purchased at full price or on sale and then wearing it once or twice and then donating it that's a hundred or a a fraction of the hundred thousand pieces going to the thrift store very quickly because what we're at 52 fashion cycles or something with h&m or something like that every week it's a new trend or a new collection and Mm -hmm. so if you're buying even not even buying every week but buying once a month um, from their new sustainable collection, like, is that sustainable? Because they decided to use a better oil to make that polyurethane or like a better <laughs> option, or even if it's recycled, because I'm starting to get into that more of the things like that are being using recycled stuff or recycled plastic, but it's just like, if you're making that many, like, is that still sustainable or is that mm-hmm. still ethical in that sense? Right. Um, so that's why that word is so easy. It's kind of like organic, like and there's no regulation on it. Right. Um, anybody can use it and anybody can say it for any reason. And on top of that, like I said, if they kind of create this mirage for you on their website, like look, sustainable green, blah, blah, blah. Look at this good we're doing. We're donating to these things. But on the backside, again, people aren't getting paid. Waterways are being polluted. Um, people are getting injured and hurt. And on top of that, the, just the um, environmental consequences of shipping that many items from another country to the United States and so on and so and then the actual pollution that the item creates and then that becoming in a thrift store now you know there's so much of that sheen or Shein brand Mm -hmm. um, H&M all those that make and then they some of them use like I said sustainability and it becomes in the thrift store but then most people don't want it because it it's from this year or even so it's just a lot and, and then, or even that it's fallen apart by then. And nobody wants it, doesn't get purchased. So then it goes to the surplus and then it goes to whatever landfill country um, has a contract with that thrift store to take right. trash. So yeah, that, I think that's a thing to think about when you're purchasing fast fashion or participating in it is like, just because they're saying sustainable, like is making that many of an item really sustainable like is like these are a lot of questions like to ask um you know when why fast fashion is a part of that the the ugly side of the second hand and the pollution problem yeah right and it definitely gets into something I think that I say all the time as like I talk to people it's just it's a volume issue Mm -hmm. it is a volume issue it will always be a volume issue until we can fix that it's like because I mean these companies could very easily produce less mm-hmm. even even if they were paying the same price if they just ask for less that's less burden on the factories that's you know less work mm-hmm. crazy hours um that the factory workers would have to do and they do need to pay they still need to pay them more because the idea that because they live in a specific part of the world somehow their labor is worth less is ridiculous but 
but oh, yeah, even they, that, I think I was reading something or watching something. Maybe y'all saw it. It was saying like how Bangladesh, like the cost of living is equivalent to, I want to say like living in Kentucky in the United States. Mm -hmm. And people think like, oh, Bangladesh, the cost of, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's okay that they get paid 10 cents a day or whatever, extremely low wage. But then like, to put it in perspective, whoever I was listening to was saying that like, well, no, Bangladesh is like, would be equivalent to living in a lower cost state in the United States. But it's just like, um, and whatever the equivalency they were making is that at McDonald's, like the average meal is $7 in Bangladesh if that helps you understand like where their cost of living is. Right. So, right. Um, so to say like, oh, it's okay if they get paid 10 cents on the dollar, whatever, it's like, no. And, and, you know, something else to bring up just so that people are aware is we exploit garment workers here in the U S too. Mm. You know, the exploitation yes, yes. exists exactly. as well. Um, the peace parade, the peace parade, yeah, peace rate. Um, in places, especially like you know New York and LA, where they have you know major fashion districts, yeah. and specifically in Los Angeles, because they um, they exploit you know um, immigrant immigrants, you know people who are coming in from Mexico and want to be able to work, but you know are for fear of being. Um, deported or whatever you have to kind of like fly under the radar and so they it makes it very easy for them to exploit those kinds of people which just is listen we live in a country <laughs> that has been exploiting people since its inception right and when I'm saying inception I'm not talking about the land itself I'm talking about the concept of this country of the United States, right? It's always, it's built on exploitation. It's built on murder. It's built on lies. It's built on all of those things. So it's it's not shocking that these big corporations um, who have, you know, benefited from that same kind of foundation would actually be doing something to make things better. They can't. So, you know, like I, and we've talked about this before, like, People who, a lot of people who shop, you know, fast fashion brands, H&M, whatever, the, 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 like the least expensive ones. Um, a lot of people do that because they don't, they, that's what, that, that is what is within their budget. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I don't like to shame people who are doing that, who literally like need to look decent to keep their job. And this, this is the best that they can do. It's the companies. In 2020, like everybody else saw a decline in business. And I think H&M and Forever 21, like increased by 5% or something like that. Um, which in my mind, I thought people were like becoming more cognizant of things. Yeah. And then the numbers, the numbers don't lie. It's, um, I think the, the, the rebranding with the sustainability is working. It is working. It's absolutely working because they have the money to make it work. They have the money to, to that, you know, smaller actual ethical brands cannot do. They can reach people that yeah. those brands can't. Yeah. And they can reach you in a way <laughs> that those brands can't. I think for me, it's just, it's always going to come down to numbers one, right? Yeah. It's always going to come down to the numbers. It's always going to come down to the amount that we're producing and the amount that we're consuming. It's all going to come down to the way that things are marketed because, I mean, in, in, in all honesty, like historically, 
the stuff that we're seeing with thrift stores and second hands have always been there. Right. It's right. always been there from like the very beginning, you know, like it, it started out with like Jewish immigrants doing like selling clothes on push carts as the industrial revolution was happening, happening and like fashion prices started going down and they were more accessible to people. Um, and, and so then, you know, they saw this opportunity to make money. And so already we've got like this, this ethnic stigma because you know there were Jewish immigrants that were selling them and there was like literal literal like stories in the newspapers like these little fables and stuff like that talking about like some girl like wanting to go to like some kind of dance and so she got this fancy dress from a secondhand store and like got some disease and died like these are the things that they were printing in the newspapers okay. to keep people from purchasing secondhand and like creating this stigma yeah. surrounding it. Or I mean, that's how the throwaway society like that we are now is. That's the kind of propaganda that yeah. you have to to put out there for people. Cause I think a lot of people, even with us, like we wash and we sanitize stuff, but there's people they just can't get um off that. But I think the kind of funny part about it is that they don't realize like with fast fast fashion clothes a lot of them to have that like really pretty sheen that's on them mm -hmm. um is formaldehyde or other really dangerous chemicals um that make it look good and presentable at the store and so um which i think is much more harmful than anybody's potential germs yeah. right um, <laughs> Really Can we talk is. about the media and how horrible the media is? Because you, Sharmai, you just reminded me of like, you know, the media's role in kind of pushing these, these, these narratives forward, right? Like the stigma of, of secondhand, it's, it's nasty, it's dirty, it's for poor people and ew, we don't want to be like them, right? But like what you were saying is like they were quick to publish this headline about this this girl getting sick and dying from a disease from, you know, and making the connection and link to this dress that she got at, the, at a secondhand store. And then it's just like, yeah. And so when we talk about marketing and we talk about these bigger corporations and we talk about the money and we talk about how much money they're able to spend to push whatever narrative they do, they need to push forward forward. It feels like like a giant constantly, like David and Goliath always, right? With us versus them in, in these, in these, you know, in, in being critical of how we do things. Well, if you are, if you are worried about germs with um secondhand, there's so many really good non-bleach sanitizers out there that you can either put in the wash or you can pre-soak beforehand and it won't ruin the, it's meant for clothing. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're one of those people that never has dipped their toe or not as much, um, those are some options if that's one of those hangups that you have um, that can be helpful for getting rid of or getting past that stigma. Give us more now, give us more tips on China. I know, I'm <laughs> loving these tips. <laughs> There's so many, um, but we're talking about the stigma of how secondhand's for poor people. You mm -hmm. don't want to do this because uh, it means you're dirty or the clothes are dirty or whatever. But like I, I was saying last time about the new stigma of uh, people shaming either resellers or, or shop owners for doing that. 
Um, cause that is something I personally experience, and I see it happening with a lot of other people, uh, more so online than in person, but it's just like, well, you shouldn't be doing this. You need to leave the thrift clothes for everybody else. And like, I'm saying, it's just like, there's so many outlets that, and I just like literal outlets, but, um, like I said, processing centers where you're digging through the like unwanted stuff. And like mm -hmm. I said about the other things, um, but just the yeah like I was saying the stigma of and people being like oh you shouldn't be doing this but like I said there's just so much stuff yeah anytime anybody brings that up to me I'm like there's so much stuff yeah. um, I understand that like if you live in a super small town and there's only one thrift store and they're only open like two or three days a week but if you live in San Antonio or any kind of big city where there's you know a plethora of thrift store especially the the big brand ones like they are putting out hundreds of items every single day. Yeah, um, they are. And, and throwing away thousands more. Right. And um, again, like you're talking about shaming people. It's like you're shaming. I see it more. And this goes into the misogyny of shaming little girls starting their depops. And uh, I see it a lot. And it's like, where's the energy for the more masculine uh, resale sites? Like, mm -hmm. why is it always the little Depop girls and they, they shouldn't be doing this um, and, and policing what little girls are doing with themselves. And if it's right. a guy doing it or a young man doing it on Grailed or whatever, he's a hustler, he's this. If a little yeah. girl's doing it, she's um, exploitative or doesn't know what she's doing or whatever kind right. of misogyny that goes along with it. That's a whole nother um, But yeah, I do want to talk about that, that part of the gaming. Why is the energy towards them and not towards anything else um, right the actual systems in place the actual corporations in place um, right like why also you should ask yourself if you're feeling like this is becoming too popularized like why is everybody able to have so much inventory that they can't even handle it mm -hmm. right right like why are these why are there so many shops that are successful because like there's so much there's so much stuff there's so right much stuff. the question is like where do we go from here? And that's a very good question. <laughs> um, for me, it's always, and every single time this conversation comes up with people who are newly becoming conscious and with you, Katie and Sherman, um, is just attitude change. Like, I think 2020 kind of like pushed some people towards it, but it's just like attitudes overall like kind of when I was talking about like the linearness of like how the fast fashion overproduction and all these other things is directly linked with the over um saturation I guess inside thrift mm -hmm. stores that then becomes uh thousands of tons of landfill trash um is just like I said just seeing that big picture because I feel like it's so easy like I said just to distance in every single like in food in fat all these things you go to the store you get it you don't see what's behind that price tag right um and all these other things or you don't see what's behind that you know food item and, and the labor that went into it and I think yeah just attitude and responsibility change but then again like we we're saying it's not necessarily about the individual but as individuals like putting more pressure on those who are policymakers. um I think right now for us a big one that we would have the most influence on is what you're uh, talking about, Katie, of in California right now, like abolishing or getting rid of the 
a piece rate mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. Right. for the LA workers. Mm-hmm. Um, if people don't know that, what that is, it's something to look into because a lot of people are like, how can they pay somebody under minimum wage? That's illegal. Because a lot of people hide behind that, but it's just because garment workers, for whatever reason, I don't know why or how, but they sign contracts to work based on how many pieces they make. Right. It doesn't matter um, whatever hours that they work. They make, like, they, I think some, some of the things I read are saying like 10 cents per item yeah. that they make or piece that they make. Some of yeah. them are as well as that. We can drop a link in the show notes too for people who want to learn more yeah. about the piece rate and the garment worker. Uh, I think it's the garment, garment worker. worker yes, the garment worker center has a lot of information. There's a lot of ways to even get involved with um, with them and the work that they're doing too. And I know we're running out of time, but going into that is also like the prison labor mm-hmm. aspect of right. manufacturing. Because mm-hmm. um, also, again, they get paid piece rate and then they get paid a very small amount of money but the way people are looking at it is you know it goes back to the systemic racism um of why people are incarcerated and what you you're allowed to do with incarcerated people yeah right which is enslave them yes and and yeah that's a whole nother conversation but it's happening how the garment industry works here and then expanding from there yeah I think that's great I think too like I'm always thinking about like like just I can only speak for me personally because I've been trying to be very mindful that I can't like everybody is coming at things from a different angle and perspective but for me it has been me reflecting very much on and the the best way to put it is negotiating a better deal for us collectively you know Mm -hmm. we live in a very individualistic society and even you know, the people who are the freedom fighters often get sucked back into that because it's like a check is big enough for you to do whatever you need to do. And I'm not going to shame anyone. But for me, I've been really trying my best to think about what kind of steps I want to take forward, because if it's not serving the greater community, then I don't want it. And I think like if we were able to get to a place to where we could, you know, adopt that kind of way of thinking I think we would be in a much better position because there's certainly way more of us than than there are them um and then true then we would make way for actual solidarity to be to to be born right because I don't really know that solidarity exists in the ways that we talk about it um and I think that that's what I've been thinking about is you know how do I get to a place to where I say no I won't take this, but I will negotiate this deal because this is better for the collective or, you know, like even it with like, I've been taking a break from the magazine because I've been trying to think like, I think because we talked about media earlier, how influential media is. And I try to think really hard about my role in that, you know, industry, even though it's not mainstream media, it's still a form of media. And I think really hard about the images and the messages. And I think like that has to help create some shift and, and not just a shift, but it has to ignite a fucking flame underneath people to make them realize that we deserve better quality of life and we will have it. And so that's, it's just, there are various ways to fight this, all of these things. I think you just got to figure out where you fit into it and take the time to, to, to understand that and reflect on what that means for you. And, and then, I don't know, that's, I don't know, that's what, that's how I approach everything. It's just thinking about 
us and not just me you know yeah but and I think mm-hmm. that's like the collective thing you know that goes back into what Natalie said is at the end of the day we just have to change the way we think about things we do so Natalie you can tell the people where they can find you <laughs> so um I have a little vintage shop here in San Antonio called Grey Mood Vintage we are located on Broadway 2202 Broadway we operate from a little vintage trailer renovated with all recycled materials. Um, yeah, we're usually open Thursday through Sunday. Um, we have kind of abbreviated hours due to COVID, but once things start looking better, we might expand on that. Um, we're on Instagram at Raymond Vintage. Um, we usually post for new arrivals on there. Lots of different ways of styling secondhand vintage, etc., and showing it in a different light. Um, but yeah. We love Grey Moon Vintage. We do.